Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The Volume. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. I was looking at NBA futures this morning. The Golden State Warriors are plus 5,500 right now on DraftKings to win the title. So if you believe in them, that's a big number. And Denver, I have Denver as my championship favorite. And they're still the second best odds on DraftKings right now at plus 450. So lots of good NBA bets to look at over the course of the end of the season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having an incredible week. We have a very special show today, a podcast I've been looking forward to for a long time, ever since I got into an argument with Sam on the phone the other day. Sam Vecini from The Athletic covers the NBA, a good friend of mine, a person who's been very important to me as I've been 
beginning this journey into this industry. Someone who's more of a grizzled vet who can help guide me along the way. Uh, but in addition to that is also one of the the smartest basketball minds that I talk to, someone that I learn, learn from every single time we talk. And we were talking the other day and we got into an argument about who would win a playoff series between the Thunder and the Lakers if it started tomorrow. And it was passion. It was heated. And finally, we were like, dude, we just got to get on a podcast and we got to hash out all the contenders. And also, I kind of view this stretch right after the All-Star break as the kind of like the halfway point, not in the regular season, but kind of between where we start in training camp to someone hoisting the trophy in June. And so I thought today would be the perfect time for us to really take a closer look at our list of contenders. And so without any further ado, Sam, how are you, man? It's good to see you. How's your year going covering the league? It's great, man. I'm super happy to be here. As you know, I think the world of you. I would recommend everybody listening to this to subscribe to this channel. I don't really listen to other basketball podcasts, watch other basketball content. Jason is like one of like one or two that I actually watch and listen to and view because I love his perspective on all of this. So I really would recommend everybody watching this subscribe to Jason's channel. He's the best. You're too kind. Without any further ado, though, let's get into the basketball. <laughs> so, you know, I would argue this is an interesting season in the sense that like there there's very clearly a top tier or tiers of teams. However, you could like legitimately sit down as a fan of almost half the league and be like, we got a shot at this thing. And so we made our lists. And if I'm not mistaken, you told me you had 14 teams that made your list, correct? I did. But I got, by the time I got to the end of it, it was like kind of loose and, <laughs> you know, amorphous. I, I wasn't, I think there are fewer teams that have a chance to win the title than 14. But yeah, I, I had 13 I, before, before we go into our actual list though, I have four teams that have won at least 31 games, but that I think have no shot mm -hmm. to win the title. So I'll go one at a time through them. And you tell me if you agree. I said the Cleveland Cavaliers have no shot to win the title. Where did I have the Cavs? I think I had the Cavs a little bit higher than that. Uh, I had them at 12, so a little bit higher, but not terribly far off. I think that like structurally, it's a little bit too easy to take advantage of their deficiencies. I am interested to see if the Max Struess addition helps to at least minimize some of the issues that New York presented them in the playoffs last year. But I, I think that at the end of the day, the Mobley... Allen combination is going to be really, really difficult to manage in the playoffs for the Cavs. I think that there are too many schematic disadvantages. And I really worry about the defensive side as well. Uh, even though they've been elite defensively, I do worry that you can really take advantage of the Garland Mitchell backcourt in a real yeah, way. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell's defensive season this year has been really impressive to me. And it's made me like a little yeah. bit less concerned about the backcourt long-term than I was. Like, the only universe in which a Garland-Mitchell backcourt would have worked long-term, in my opinion, would have involved Donovan becoming a, a not just a plus defender, but a good defender. And I think he's been a good defender this year. Yeah. I think Dean Wade and some of the two-way play that he's brought to, this, uh, uh, to the wing forward position has been super valuable. But again, everything to me comes down to the Mobley-Allen front court. And I thought people kind of got off the scent a little bit last year with the focus on shooting. Not that shooting isn't an important element to this team's ability to have success in pick and roll and stop teams from guarding it three on two. But to me, it has 
more to do with Evan Mobley's offensive development and the simple fact that, especially in the short role, he's just not very good. Uh, I've advocated even for swapping yeah. it and just having Jared Allen run the short rolls and and having Evan Mobley kind of operate more in the dunker spot to try to mix it up. But yeah. the bottom line is, is like when you start to really get uh, to me, the Cleveland Cavaliers are an extremely well coached team that plays extremely hard, that th- thrives in these middle portions of the season when effort and energy kind of waxes and wanes more for other teams. And so I think they're nowhere near as good as their record. And I gave them no chance. My second one was the New Orleans Pelicans. I don't think they have a real chance to win the title. What do you think? I agree with you. Uh, They were like 14, 15 on my list, like in that back end of the amorphous list. I had them with a lower chance than the Cavs. The Cavs at least like play hard and I can see, I'm not saying the Pelicans don't, but like I can see the Cavs like at least winning a playoff series. Maybe if they get a super advantageous matchup in the second round, maybe they can get past that. The Pelicans... I really have enjoyed Brandon Ingram in the playoffs generally. I think his game translates well there, weirdly. But it's still the combination of Brandon Ingram and Zion. They've been running these like point-Zion combinations from time to time that I think have been somewhat effective. But I still don't love the fit between the two of those guys. I still think they haven't figured out how to elevate each other in a way that makes them better than what their singular skills are. In this team just frankly, is not talented enough compared to the top teams in the league. That's the reality. And it's going to be difficult for them, I think, to come up with lineup combinations in the front court, in the back court, in ways that uh, allow you to defend and score in the playoffs. They're a team filled with one-way players right now is the biggest issue. Yeah, specifically in the front court. And like that, that's death in the NBA yeah. playoffs. I, to me, they're like a worse version of the Clippers. They're a team that has a lot of length on the perimeter. They've got a lot of guys like that you think of as, you know, drive and kick guys that can, uh, but that on the other end can also compete on the perimeter. Like I've, we've seen um, the, the Pelicans beat really good teams before where they lock in on the perimeter and they're driving, kicking you to death on the other end of the floor. Uh, and specifically like, like using Zion a lot, Zion's been playing a lot better as of late getting guys like CJ McCollum attacking yeah. closeouts more rather than constantly operating and pick and roll. I've seen a lot of good from them, but to me, like there's not there, there isn't this one big draw. It's like, do I think they defend at a championship level? No, I don't. I don't think they're good enough in the front court. Do yeah. I think that they have a superstar offensive player that can truly just for four straight rounds, just be a surgeon in the half court. No, I don't think they have that type of player. Do I think they have an absurd depth of talent that can overcome a lot of these issues? No, I don't. So like they don't just, they don't have like that ACE in the hole. There are a lot of bad or not bad teams, but flawed teams that we're going to hit today where it's like, they have this ACE in the hole. Like it's the bucks. It's Damon Giannis. If it's the Lakers, it's LeBron James and Anthony. They, they just don't have that like one singular, like transformatively great, thing that they do uh, that kind of sets them apart. The third team I put on this list was the Sacramento Kings. What about you? Yeah, I mean, they just aren't going to be able to defend at a level commensurate with winning a title, in my opinion. Uh, I loved their series against the Warriors last year. Uh, I thought that they really proved that their style of play has a better chance to hold up under like realistic scrutiny and in terms of like a coach adjusting against what they're trying to present to the opposing team but 
again, like they, they just haven't fixed the defensive issue. And for as good as Damana Sabonis has been this season, for as uh, incredible as the combination between he and De'Aaron Fox has been, I really need to see it from them in the playoffs at the end of the day before I trust them. Uh, that that feels like you know TV talking point ish, but the way that Kevon Looney was able to minimize his impact on that series last year really kind of sticks in my head in a negative way. It's the same with the Cavs. Like Jared Allen, like got his ass kicked last year by Mitchell Robinson in that playoff series, and Jared Allen is probably one of the most underrated players in the NBA at this mm -hmm. point during regular season competition. He's a huge part of why they've been successful. It's kind of the same with the Kings. Like I thought that Kevon Looney marginally compared to what their commensurate values are to their team, you know, Demonis Sabonis played better than Kevon Looney did in that series, but I thought Kevon got the better of him uh, compared to what they needed from each of those players in that series. So it's hard for me to get that out of my mind. And it's hard for me to imagine they're going to defend it a level high enough to yeah, win. That dropping the right shoulder and getting to that lefty hook, especially on the rolls to the rim when he kind of catches and yeah. takes that power dribble. They're just there. He just inevitably runs into a guy who's big and strong enough to kind of withstand that. And then he's a below the rim player at that yep. point. You know, it, it's funny because we've seen this a lot in the NBA history where like Kevin Love was this, really good post-up fulcrum, pick-and-pop fulcrum in the regular season, and then he'd get to the postseason and he'd get his butt kicked by a big, strong forward. Or like Julius Randle's kind of this yeah. kind of guy, too. Like I, that that big forward who's not really exceptionally athletically gifted, but that relies on a lot of bully ball, but isn't necessarily the best touch or that kind of guy can cut, sometimes struggle when they run into mm -hmm. super physical environments. And I tend to agree. Like, what's funny, you look at the, the Kings. Uh, I was, I was pulling these numbers the other day when they defend, they win. That's the crazy part. <laughs> like when they, totally. when they defend, they win. Yeah. And when they don't, they're not good enough offensively. They're not good enough offensively to just simply outscore teams. And, and, and that, that has ended up being the issue more often than not. Like, like they'll have a night like they did against the Nuggets the other night where they can really defend and they have perimeter talent to actually they have enough speed on the perimeter to actually be pretty good in rotation and to be pretty good at the point of attack when they want to be yeah. but it's just never been a consistent and it's it's crazy too with Mike Brown as the coach that that hasn't become more of an identity for them in the long run the, the last team I had on this list was the Indiana Pacers I love Tyrese Halliburton he's legitimately in my <laughs> opinion like a transcendently great offensive player I think some of his recent struggles are more just classic soft tissue stuff like you come back from a hammy you don't really take that aggressive step like you normally do. Like I think I, I, I tend to think that he's on that trajectory to be the next like truly great offensive engine. And I think the Siakam fit is beautiful there. Love everything about it. I just I just think within the scope of this season, they're not physically imposing enough or good enough in any unit to win the title. What do you think? Yeah, the Halliburton injury, I hope that he's used this, you know, little week that he's going to get. I know that he had so many events that he had to do at All-Star this weekend, being like the hometown hero, basically. Like, it felt like he did everything he could to get himself out there. Like, probably did not get the rest that his body necessarily needed. Hopefully, he'll get, like, just days off of physical activity in some way that allows that hamstring to recover a little bit. Uh I agree with you in terms of the soft tissue thing. He just hasn't quite been there, but I, I believe in him in big moments as we saw during the in-season tournament. Uh, I think that super skill, super decision-making, great shooting, those skills translate to the highest level, and I think that he'll be great in those settings in the playoffs. I do 
worry a little bit about just for this season, not long term, this season, the synergy between he and Siakam uh, and trying to figure out the ways to make their defense at the highest level it possibly can be with Siakam and Turner in the front court. Uh, that synergy is just missing a little bit right now. Maybe they can get it there by the time that April rolls around. Don't know that they would be like a zero percent chance to meet just in case the Siakam Turner thing like turns into being able to hold up their defense on their shoulders in a substantial way. But I think you're safe to keep them out of this conversation just for now. I do think, though, that there are some interesting schematic advantages that they can create both in the half court and with their transition opportunities in the full court. Okay, I have a follow-up for you because you're way more connected than me around the league. What are you hearing about the Pacers and their long-term vision for the surrounding players around Halliburton and, and Siakam? So, for instance, like, do they view... Uh, do they view Ben Matherin and like a uh, like an Aaron Neesmith as good enough at the two and three? Do they view Miles Turner as their long term solution at center? Like where are they at as a team building as far as team building goes? Yeah. So I haven't heard a crazy amount about the surrounding pieces. I know that they are very excited about Pascal Siakam and the ability to pair him with Tyrese Halliburton long term. I know that they love the fit of Miles Turner with Pascal Siakam. Part of what the Raptors struggled with spacing wise is that Siakam, you know, up until this season with that little stretch he had before he got moved, hadn't really shot the ball well at all for the previous four years that he'd been there. Right. That led to him being in the mid post and Jakob Pertl being willing to like short roll into that middle like area at the foul line extended. Right. And then you have Scotty Barnes who loves to operate in that area as well. And it led to a condensed, difficult court to deal with with miles turner who can go out and space the floor in a semi-real way like teams don't ignore him out there they tend to at least try to get a late closeout mm -hmm. on him when he shoots threes and pick and pops and when he spaces to the corner i think that they can really operate in an intriguing way using pascal siakam tyrese halliburton you know one four ball screens the thing though that i think they're going to miss for this season particularly, and this feeds into the idea of their kind of pieces around these guys, Buddy Heald was a sneaky, really important thing for them just schematically. Mm -hmm. He didn't have his best season this year for whatever reason, but the way that they would utilize him and the gravity that he possessed around the court for the Pacers, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton, like he said this as soon as they moved him, he's played basically every game of his career up until you know the trade deadline with Buddy Heald on the court and the level of spacing that Heald creates because you have to stay attached to him at all times across the court is so essential. It is so, so dangerous for an opposing team. It's why I love the Buddy Heald acquisition for the Philadelphia 76ers. Like, we'll talk about that when we get to the 76ers maybe, but I wonder if we get some diminishing returns more than what people expect by the Pacers moving healed. And maybe that might be the best case for you thinking that they're a no chance team. The fact that they moved a guy that is actually like a really important schematic cog for them in the playoffs, the fact they moved him is really going to hinder what they do. But long-term, I think Matherin, they really like Ben Matherin. They really like Jairus Walker. They actually really, really like, Andrew Nemhard as well. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that like they think Nemhard is a long-term starter necessarily, but 
they love having Nemhard as like your either your fifth man out on the court, your sixth man, something like that. A guy that takes on tougher defensive assignments from time to time, makes great decisions, can shoot it a little bit. Uh, they they like a lot of their younger pieces, and I think they'll be aggressive trying to go out and get the final piece next to their Halliburton, Siakam, Turner core. But beyond that, uh, I think it remains to be seen where they'll go. The big piece of the Siakam deal, though, is that they didn't move any of Matherin, Jairus Walker, uh, Andrew Nemhard, and thus they still have assets to move in order to fill out that roster around them. Yeah, the the Buddy Heel piece is interesting because he's that's actually one of their biggest pet actions. Like the two actions they run most frequently are Halliburton, Turner, pick and pop, and then basically a ghost screen with Buddy Heald, which screws everybody up because they yeah. they can't figure out how to, to to guard that specific action. I do understand it from the big picture of like. A big picture, you can't have a Halliburton heel backcourt. You just can't. Like, there's just not enough th- that you're not good enough defensively, in my opinion, at the point of attack. Yeah. Uh, in terms of a big picture goal for that type of uh, of situation, ideally, you're hoping for a guy like Ben Matherin to kind of develop into a better defender than he has been, and he's been really bad. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we spent enough time on these lower level teams. I just I, I wanted to kind of get that flushed out, just for from the standpoint of the way we kind of constructed our lists. The way this, the way that I'm going to do it. And uh, who knows how the hell this will go? So we're we're just gonna we're just gonna try it and see what happens. I have my list, and I'm gonna go through one at a time. Sam is gonna tell me whether yeah. or not he agrees, and if he disagrees, he's gonna tell me whether or not that team should be higher or lower, and he'll give the case for why. Uh, my first tier is bona fide traditional top tier contenders. These are teams that, in my opinion. Check all of the boxes that you hope to have checked for a team that typically will go on to win the title. Number one, I have the Denver Nuggets. I think they're by far Mm -hmm. the best combination of half-court offense and defense that we know translates to the playoff setting. Um, Their record is not as bad as it looks when you factor in how much time Jamal Murray has missed. Um, As a matter of fact, they're 28-12 and when Jamal Murray has played that's a 70% win percentage. That's basically what the Minnesota Timberwolves have been. They've definitely had some kind of like flat efforts this year uh, where they've gone out and just been blitzed for whatever reason. But that to me is kind of a typical part of being the target on your back defending champ type of uh, type of situation. The bench is an issue, but it was an issue last year. Like they were around 11 points negative net. With Jokic off the floor last year, they're around 11 points negative net without Jokic this year, according to Cleaning the Glass. So like, I think hyper-focusing on that misses the point that it was literally a non-issue in the postseason last year. They just scaled the minutes up, and they were so dominant that it never ended up being an issue. Um, so to me, like, I'll actually p- place it a little bit more aggressively. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat, so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great too. With thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a Chill Mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on Chill Mattresses and get two free pillows iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. If the Nuggets starting five is healthy, I would I would be surprised if they didn't win the title. That's how That's how confident I am in this team. So, Ooh. so I, I, I'm, I'm curious, even if you have the nuggets at one, you could at least tell me if you don't view them as strongly as I do. I do have the nuggets at one. I think they are the clear favorite right now to win the title. We'll talk about, I think the team that maybe both of us will have next or in the, you know, top three, I, I would have this team in the top tier with the nuggets as well. The Nuggets so far have played a top 10 strength of schedule. They've played a tougher schedule than any of the other uh, Timberwolves, Clippers, uh, Thunder as well. They've played a tougher schedule than any of those teams. So when you look at the record, plus they've had the Murray injury, I'm not concerned about what their record looks like right now. I think they're going to be 100% fine once the playoffs hit. My only concern for Denver is they didn't, make a real move at the deadline obviously and this team still does not have amazing depth if somebody was to go down if a uh even like if a contavious caldwell pope or an aaron gordon goes down i do worry a little bit about you know elevating somebody like christian brown or peyton watson into the starting lineup and then having to replace those you know let's call it like 20 minutes that one of those two provide with somebody like deep on their bench that I really would have like concerns about uh, in a playoff setting. So that I think is the one point of contention. But if we're starting to get into concerns about that, 
that's the sign of an elite team, a truly fantastic basketball team. They have the best player in the world in Nikola Jokic. They have constructed a roster. Calvin Booth has done a fantastic job building an organization that fits around their best player to the nth degree. Uh, he elevates everybody. They elevate themselves beyond what they're capable of. I think Jamal Murray, when he's been on the court this season, uh, has been outstanding and was all-star quality. So I, I have I have no real concerns about the Denver Nuggets outside of potentially, even if one of their starting quality non-star players gets hurt, what does that look like in terms of their lineup flexibility in the playoffs? So I a hundred percent agree for the record. I've actually done rants on my show before about how I think it's like if you to Calvin Booth's credit, I, I can't think of a lineup. You probably have to go back to like the 2014 Spurs to find a lineup that has a larger gap between like the individual reputations of all five players kind of combined versus the <laughs> basketball effectiveness of their five together. Like it, it, to put it simply, like yeah. the sum, the their actual tangible greatness so far supersedes the sum of their parts. And it, to his credit, they he just constructed, in my opinion, a perfectly complementary starting five. Now the. The counter to that would be, because I agree, you take KCP out of the equation, you take your best guard defender out of the equation, at least out of the starting group, and a very, very, very important spacing guy, second side action guy. KCP has always been one of my favorite transition guards in the league too. Aaron Gordon, just the job he did on Kevin Durant and on LeBron James, like uh, even going on to Jimmy Butler, like he was just incredibly important on the defensive end of the floor, anchoring them the last year. Like I a hundred percent agree with you. Here's the thing. If the Celtics lost Kristaps Porzingis, what would you say? They fundamentally become a significantly lesser team. If they lost Derek white, they fundamentally become a significantly lesser team. Yeah, like go to the, the, the Timberwolves. It's like, if they lose Jaden McDaniels, fundamentally lesser team, Mike Conley is so important to them in their half court execution, fundamentally lesser team, the Clippers, you take any of their core guys, Terrence Mann out, all of a sudden, it's a whole lot more Norman Powell and Russell Westbrook. You take, you know, Paul George out, you take James Harden out, you get the point. So, like, I, I do think that even though I agree with you that I don't think the Nuggets starting five can withstand an injury really to anybody in that group. Uh, I suppose if you had to pick one, it'd probably be Michael Porter Jr., right? And then Peyton Watson slides into that spot. But even then, like that, he's yep. such an important part fundamentally of guarding actions two on two versus three on two against Denver. Like you just, you yes. just have a better chance. Peyton yeah. Watson, he's gotten good at that slot cut out of, out of the weak side wing and, and moving along the baseline. Like he's learned how to play off the ball, but he just isn't the same level of like Michael Porter jr. Is one of the best off ball players in the entire league. So like he's even a very good offensive yes. rebounder. Like, it, like I, I, to me, to me, all five of those guys are of vital importance. And so, yeah, like I, I, I agree that they have a lack of depth, but I just don't think that that necessarily... I just think it's unfair to nitpick that without necessarily pointing out that the yeah. same exists for any of these other teams. So I think the perfect way to transition this here is to go to my number two, which is the Boston Celtics. And I guess let's yep. start with this. Like I, I, I think a Celtics-Nuggets finals is pretty likely. Um, I, I think it's pretty likely. Uh, I, I so in that matchup, I think I'm higher on one team like than ooh, you let's are. Hear here. I'm interested let's hear to do this. This is the Clippers. I'm higher on the Clippers than I think. Okay, you are. Yeah. I I had the Clippers at number three, 
And yeah. l- l- let's hit the Clippers. See, like I, I think the Clippers, I think the Clippers can lose one of Norman Powell or Terrence Mann or somebody like that. They can't lose Zubats because Zubats is like the real size mm-hmm. guy. I think they can lose one of those guys and still be okay. Terrence Mann takes their primary point of attack assignments and puts these long athletes off the ball. Yeah. I, I find it. And then it just like all of a sudden it's like 15 more minutes of Russell Westbrook every single night too, which is, which is terrifying to me a, a little bit. I, Okay, let, let, let's let's uh-huh. let's let's hit the Clippers. Let's do the Celtics first. All right, let's do the Celtics first. Yeah, and we'll get there. Let me just let me just start by asking you a question. Why are the Boston Celtics twenty seventh in paint points scored per game? Why 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 do they do that? Why are they third in pull up jumpers taken? <laughs> why are they? Why do they take the most threes? Like why are they as athletically gifted as they are so perimeter oriented? Can you explain that to me? <laughs> well. Honestly, so like they are athletically gifted, but a lot of their players are not like perimeter paint touch guys, right? Jason Tatum has never been a super high end. Like I'm going to go get paint touches, drive and kick. I'm going to go get paint touches. Like he's a, you know, if I'm going to get the ball, I might get a post up and try to bully somebody in a mismatch onto the block, but I'm probably going to pull up more than I'm going to try and get all the way to the rim that way. Uh, Jalen Brown like can be a real paint touch guy. I would say he's their one, but like Drew Holiday is 33, 34 years old at this point. Hasn't really been that guy the last couple of years. Derek White has never been like a super high end paint touch guy. Christoph Porzingis has always been a perimeter big. It, it kind of does line up to me in terms of that, but I also can see why this would be a concern because we've seen you know, in general, the last couple of years under Joe Missoula, their late game offense has been a slog from time to time. The ability to get a paint touch is a real combo breaker, a counter breaker, which is why we'll talk about the Thunder. And this is what people I think are waiting for after your intro. Uh, <laughs> why I do like the Thunder in some way with their late game offense to be able to uh, consistently get interesting looks. The Celtics have struggled to consistently get interesting looks. The Timberwolves this year, another team that has struggled to consistently get good looks around uh, around the rim, certainly uh, from different scenarios in late game situations. So that would be my one concern with Boston. Uh, can they consistently find late game offense that works for them? We need to also call it out too this is a truly elite offense. I mean, they have like a 122 offensive rating right now. They are elite on that end because Jason Tatum is incredible. Jason Tatum's pull-up game has really shifted over the course of, I would say, what, the last month and a mm-hmm. half or so. He's been outstanding, knocking down pull-up threes. I think he's at like 39% since like the start of January, something like that with pull-up threes. Uh, that really trans uh, transforms their potential on offense in late game situations. Having the spacing of Kristaps Porzingis has totally transformed everything that they can do on the offensive end. In addition to being able to play big with Porzingis and Al Horford and be able to guard a lot of different things, stay big on defense while having five out spacing, which is so important to what they want to do. Yeah, look, I love the Celtics. I think they've been fantastic this season. I would have them, you know, number two, number three. I basically have them like two A right now with the team we're going to talk about momentarily here. They defend at the point of attack at a super high level. 
They can play big. They're flexible lineup wise. Again, they're just not that deep and probably can't withstand much in terms of injuries. But yeah, the Celtics are an elite team and they are clearly the favorite to come out of the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of trolling a little bit there with the way I presented you that question. I think a lot of people galaxy burn the Celtics a little bit with the standpoint. It's like, well, watch this. You know, they're clearly bad at this. And it's like, well, they're fucking awesome at everything else. You know, like it, it does. 100%. People definitely galaxy brain them a little bit. I, I, I love the fact that they have so much uh, depth at very specifically important skill sets. Like they have a depth of perimeter defenders at the guard position. They have a depth of perimeter defenders at the wing position. They've got a legitimate shot blocker in Kristaps Porzingis. They've got a guy in Al Horford that can guard some of the bigger post players in the league and, and usually tends to cause problems for them. You know, they've got guys that can beat mismatches out of the post. They've got guys that can beat mismatches out of ISO. They can play drive and kick basketball. The thing, the big thing that I'm going to be watching with them down the stretch of the season, because like they have like an incredibly easy schedule down the stretch. They're pretty tough here for the next few weeks. And then it lightens up basically the rest of the way. They are already six games up on the rest of the Eastern conference. They're four games up on Minnesota for the number one overall seed. They have some slush here to like, really treat the last 20 something games as almost like like a as almost like a, a testing ground for a lot of stuff. I'd like to see yeah. them work on essentially I don't know if it needs to be a different offensive configuration entirely or just an an, an approach, but like to me they are cuz they their offense is not just legitimate, it's been it's been really good regardless of matchup. They've also been one of the very best offenses in the league against top 10 defenses. They um, have had no issue scoring the basketball in the large sample, but they have had issues scoring the basketball in the small sample. What, what I mean by that is they've had games where they go broke and they look like shit. And a big part of in a big <laughs> part of it, and like just recently in this last month, it's like the Clippers game. It's the Nuggets game. It's like these big high profile yeah. games where it just seems like none of the shots can fall. And so my, my but by the way, I, I love that you didn't mention the Lakers game. because That's the <laughs> obvious one that came to mind for yeah. me. <laughs> you know, what's funny, though, like I don't even look at the Lakers as one of those top teams anymore. So it's like, could, uh, I know I've become such a defeatist <laughs> about them. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. But um, the uh, when it comes to. The way that they've configured their offense, like for instance, like Tatum is shooting the pull-up jump shot better, but he, mm-hmm. we're talking like 45% of his shot diet is pull-up jump shots. Like that's a hefty chunk of his, like, and, and when you factor in that he's taken a, a few catch and shoot jumpers every game, like more than half of his game is jump shooting. And this is a guy that I agree with you that that's kind of who he is as a player. I agree, but this is also one of the most physically gifted forwards we have in the league. I'm saying he needs to change, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. I'm saying he needs to tweak that. Or, or he just needs to be like the best shooter in or the league. Or be the best shooter in the league. Like it needs to be one Which of he's the not. Yeah. So, like Ka- Kawhi Leonard gets away with this. Like Kawhi Leonard takes like, you know, what, two or three shots at the rim per mm-hmm. game and lives off of a diet of mid-range jumpers and occasional three-pointers and still shoots a billion percent from the field approximately. So like that's that's the level that Jason Tatum needs to get to. He either needs to be that guy or he needs to be able to get to the rim in the way that you're And saying. for the record, I think that that ki- I think Tatum can undergo a little bit of that transition in the sense that like what makes Kawhi such an outstanding mid-range jump shooter is he uses his strength to get to spots closer yep. to the rim. And whereas like Tatum takes highly difficult 
like longer distance pull-up jump shots. And so between the leaning on the pull-up yep. jump shot, between the team-wide leaning on like the they're they're third in pull-up jump shots as a team. They uh lead the league in three-point shots attempted. As I mentioned earlier, they're 27th in points in the paint per game. It has added a huge element of variance to the way they play. And so as a result of that, they are capable of having games. And I know that like a lot of the analytics guys disagree with me on this, but I do believe that shooting is contagious. I do believe that like when a team starts missing, it gets in the head of the team and like everyone starts to kind of get tight and the hands get sweaty and, and like, and I, I, it's, I, it's a confidence thing yeah, in big, moments, exactly a hundred percent. Yeah. And so I do think that stuff matters. And so like, I think the, that if the Celtics lose, it'll look like what it looked like in these games we saw in the last month. It'll be yeah. a big game five, game six against a Milwaukee or somebody or, or the, the Knicks. I'm pretty high on. We'll talk about in a little bit or a big game in the in the finals against the Nuggets where it's like or against the Clippers or somebody like that, where it's like they miss five or six in a row. And it's like it almost they almost start to get a little hesitant, but they don't have this other punch that they can go to. So I just want to see. I would love to see over these last 20 something games, like just an, an attempt to add more versatility to the way they attack on offense. Yeah. I, I, to me, that would go such a long yeah. way. Like, what are you going to do in the game when we call a timeout and we're down seven in the middle of the third quarter and we just missed five or six threes in a row? What are we going to do? Are we going to sit down and be like, hey, guys, this is one of those nights. We're a little in our heads. We're not making these shots. How about we, you know, spam this wedge action to get Tatum, you know, like some low post touches or or Porzingis, you know, whatever it is you got to do something to just kind of like almost bake in a physical aggression to the the beginning of their offensive possessions. Because then from there, it might color because then you might still get catch and shoot threes, but they'll they'll at least come out of an attempt to get the ball into the paint first. I, I would just like to see them try that to me would be a, a big uh, um like thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on here down the stretch. Did you have any other thoughts on the Celtics before we move on? I don't, but honestly, like that ability to be multiple on offense is why I think I'm higher on the Clippers than what many people are and why I actually have them in the same tier is the Celtics and the Nuggets right now. Like I think they have a real ability to be multiple on offense and have different ways to beat you in a way that they haven't had previously. Now, like we'll talk about the major factor with the Clippers here momentarily, but like uh, I'll let you kind of take the lead on where you want to go with that conversation. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. I was looking at NBA futures this morning. The Golden State Warriors are plus 5,500 right now on DraftKings to win the title. So if you believe in them, that's a big number. And Denver, I have Denver as my championship favorite, and they're still the second best odds on DraftKings right now at plus 450. So lots of good NBA bets to look at over the course of the end of the season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Because when it comes to your feet 
eBay has your back. Maybe it's a head-turning pair for hooping or a hot new collab. Whatever you're after, when you cop on eBay, you can trust that your kicks will be checked by experts. Not just any experts, sneaker experts who live and breathe the culture. Real people with real hands-on authentication experience. That's what the blue check mark represents on our listings. eBay authenticity guarantee, meaning every inch Stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. So when you finally step into those grail kicks, you'll realize that the feeling is unlike any other. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, that feeling of real is always within reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. So this next tier I have titled Teams Hitting Traditional Championship Benchmarks, but that have sure. playoff question marks. And so that to sure. me is where I have the Clippers. The the big like 
Uh, question marks I have for the Clippers are kind of similar to some ones that I have for other teams. Like they're not a good defensive rebounding team. That to me is another kind of like hallmark. We're going to, I pulled some stats for you. I'm, I'm prepped for a thunder argument, Sam, just wait. <laughs> I, I pulled some stats about <laughs> defensive rebounding in, in, uh, in recent NBA champions. And so there's some concerning stuff there. They're not a good defensive rebounding team. They, they are actually a better a paint attacking team than you'd think. The Clippers are actually 15th in points in the paint per 100 possessions. Yeah. Um, I do think they have more scoring resiliency in the sense that like, I just think they're a better like, like type of, uh, they play in my opinion, uh, they ha they, they, they take a lot of the same shots that Boston does, although fewer threes, but they're just better at it. They're better at playing that brand of basketball. I think in, in terms of like that slow down half court environment, they're, they're top five in both half court offense and defense. That's usually a big uh, a hallmark for a championship contender. They're sixth in clutch net rating. That's another hallmark for a championship contender. And again, like you mentioned, to me, let's just put it this way. Kawhi's a better player than Tatum. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I think Kawhi is the player I would take. If we were drafting players for a playoff series right now, I would take Kawhi at number two behind you. Really? There's a take. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so for the record, yes. I generally, I'm generally super high on a, Kawhi too. A healthy a healthy, healthy Kawhi, Kawhi, to be clear. But the, to your point, yeah. the, Kawhi Leonard brings a scoring resiliency to the playoffs that I think is super valuable when we get to this point. Um, I think James Harden, too, like, I think there's less pressure on him in this playoff run than there was last year in the sense that, like, I think this team can kind of withstand a bad James Harden night in a better way than uh, that the Sixers mm -hmm. could. So like, I I'm really, really high on the Clippers too. Again, it really just comes down to for me. And again, I'm not even going to talk about health here. The only thing it really comes down to for me is like, they're a, uh, they're bad uh, defensive rebounding team. They do take a lot of pull-up jumpers and we have seen them go cold like they did against Denver in 2020, although that was a long time ago. Other thing too, is they're a really bad transition defense, but I feel like I'm being kind of nitpicky. You're high on the Clippers. Tell us where you uh, uh, tell us why I should say. Okay, so Kawhi Leonard this season has missed, I believe, five games so far. Uh, coming down the stretch last season, I believe he missed, I think it was like six games in their last 50 games, maybe eight games in their last 50 games, somewhere along those lines. Again, the problem is that he did not stay healthy for the playoffs. I think any conversation, you said you wanted to ignore the health. I'm sorry, but any conversation with the Clippers revolves around the health on some level in the four years that they have had Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they are a plus 12 per 100 possessions. When Paul George and Kawhi Leonard share the court, that is NBA title worthy. That is elite of the elite of the elite. These guys, when they take the court together, the Clippers win games. They are fantastic to me. I've loved everything that they've seen. You bring up James Harden. The key is that when, he was the point guard and the number two option on the Philadelphia 76ers last season. Their primary action was they were going to try and run a 1-5 ball screen with Joel Embiid. Joel was going to pop into the mid-range. Maybe sometimes it would be an empty. Maybe sometimes uh, James would be trying to get to his pull-up jumper. You know, There would be different machinations of it. James does not have to be the primary guy this year. James can be a combo breaker for them. If for whatever reason, they are able to, uh, an opposing team is able to shut down Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You can't really shut down Kawhi Leonard at this point, in my opinion. But like, if a team is able to make his life more difficult, well, 
not enough teams have three legitimate point of attack defenders with size and with quickness to be able to cause problems for all of these guys, which means you can just go into like one five ball screen with James Harden and Avica Zubats and then have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and somebody like Norman Powell, who's been elite of the elite of the elite in spot up situations this season, uh, surrounding him and you can play five out and that's going to be able to create all sorts of problems that way and that's like your second or third option <laughs> right they have so many different ways to be able to attack a defense that's why they have a top three offense in the nba and why it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year they actually have the best offense in the nba as long as these guys stay healthy i think they are the most dangerous offensive team on top of it I think Kawhi has been better than what we've seen in the last couple of years defensively this season. Paul George remains an elite defender who can handle point of attack situations, getting over the top of screens, using his length to disrupt disrupt actions that way. You mentioned Terrence Mann can obviously do that. They use him a lot more than they use Paul George in that scenario. But I think Paul, if you get him going in the playoffs, he's going to be able to do that. The only issue, like you said, is the size one. Uh, I am with you. I have worries about the fact that Zubots is really their size based counter. And like, I actually don't know what their counter is to Zubots right now. Th that is my number one worry. What do they do if they have to go small? I actually don't really know what like a small lineup looks like for them, given that PJ Tucker has been like MIA here for the recent while. Do you think they intend to, do you think that was why they didn't buy him out and why they're trying to get him to kind of refocus and come back? Do you think it centers around them wanting to have him as an ace in the hole if they need to use him? I think, no, I think it's more that they could have his contract as an expiring $10 million. Gotcha. That makes sense for the mm -hmm. off season. Um, but like he still has next year. That, that was a huge win for Daryl Morey to get off of that deal within the James Harden uh, trade. Mm -hmm. But Look, I mean, it, it probably plays like a small role in it, like as a potential option, but I think much more it's, you know, have him as a $10 million expiring for the offseason when they don't have like a crazy number of mm. contracts they can do. Like, honestly, is their best small lineup something crazy like James Harden, Kawhi, Paul George, like Powell Mann, or even like, like, is it like Russ? given his like ability to go up tempo and like try and beat opposing teams down the court. Like do you involve him in your best small lineup? They don't, they don't have like a great answer. I'd go, there. I'd probably go Powell, man, but I, I have noticed the same thing where like when these Clippers go small, it doesn't look the same as it did a few years ago when it was like a Marcus Morris out there, or it was a, you know, a Nick Batum where it was just like another six, eight guy that just kind of added. So at least they were like longer if that makes sense. But at the same time, like Zubac is like Zubac yep. is on the short list of guys that like you'd love to have for a matchup with Jokic, <laughs> like as well. Like, so, 100%. so like, yeah, I, I love this Clippers team. I, I love their character too. They just, they have, they, they, they just give me championship vibes. And that's why I put them in that. Uh, that's why I titled that tier, like hitting championship benchmarks. Cause like, I think there are a lot of teams, especially in the modern NBA, uh, that like, I don't want to say cut corners, but that, that view the regular season is almost unnecessary. And I feel like the NBA does well, a good the, job of shooting and spitting those teams were out. were the primary example yes. of this. Yes. Jason, the Clippers were the primary <laughs> yes. example of this for three years. Like that's exactly <laughs> right. They, they have not cut corners this year. It's really important. Exactly. And, and I just, I just, I, 
I love that the NBA tends to chew up and spit out teams that don't take the regular season seriously. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite things about the league. Like don't don't cheat the game, and the and the game won't cheat you back. Uh, the other team, I only have one other team on this tier, and that is the Minnesota Timberwolves. I absolutely love the combination of like truly physically imposing perimeter defense and rim protection. Specifically, I love their the, mm-hmm. I love the the matchup versatility that an Ant and a Jaden McDaniel's gives you in the sense that like Jaden McDaniel's brings this like length that is like oppressive, but then Ant brings this like fire hydrant you could never get past me strength and like handsy physicality yep. at the on the perimeter. I love that they can like kind of play with those matchups a little bit because like certain offensive players like are really good at shooting over the top and the fire hydrant guys don't really bother them. And then like there are certain offensive players that like are bothered by length more. And so like, you can kind of like play with that a little bit. The, my main red flag with the Timberwolves is I really have hated their crunch time offense as of late. Yes. And you know, it's funny because like you talk to Timberwolves fans and like we're a top 10 half court or we're a good half court offense. Like Mike Conley, you know, organizes us and we've, you know, Anthony Edwards is ascending to superstardom and I buy into all that. Like I'm a huge Anthony Edwards guy. I love Mike Conley, but like to me, because Mike Conley is not overly aggressive at the end of games, like generally speaking, it comes down to decision-making from Ant, who's very, very young and Carl Towns, who's an iffy decision maker. And I think that that ends up being the issue. Now, yes. they they dropped a game in crunch time against the Bulls the other night, or about a week and a half ago, where it looked exactly like all the things I'm telling you about. And then they won four straight where they kicked everyone's ass and there wasn't even any crunch time games. And I remember teams used to be concerned about like the Lakers in 2020 and their half-court offense and their ability to execute. And then... Guess what? Their defense was so damn good. They just, they, it didn't matter and they were able to win. And so I still think the Timberwolves are very much in that tier of teams that I think have a real chance to win it all. But like, like we mentioned earlier, if I saw them lose, that's what it would look like. I think it would come down to half court execution. Where are you at with the Minnesota Timberwolves? Have the same exact concern you do. And it's not just like, like if the Bulls game was a one off, I would feel better. But they have recently dropped crunch time games to the Spurs, the Hornets, I think the Magic, if I remember correctly, as well. Like teams that aren't exactly like bastions of <laughs> late game offensive execution, right? So it, it almost always it, it looks the same. It looks exactly like what you're saying. I really worry about okay, let's say that they play the Clippers or they play the Nuggets or somebody like that, right? I still don't totally know what that's going to look like from a half-court defensive perspective when teams look to specifically attack Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns in mismatch situations in those scenarios. Now, having both of them is really valuable, but like the Clippers, for instance, who does... Carl Towns guard on the Clippers in a fully healthy series for those guys. I think you put him on Kawhi, right? And basically try to have him handle the bully ball stuff and like, like his Kawhi's not an overly like quickness based player. What do you think? But that's, I, he, Kawhi would cook his ass, but I think that's, I think that's what you talk yourself into, right? So I think that's my answer. 
But what I think the Clippers would do even more than anything else, I think they would run Kawhi off of a bevy uh, yeah. of off-ball action. <laughs> by the way, we saw the Pelicans do this by Kat. putting Zion on Kawhi, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Just like literally make Cat chase mm-hmm. the whole game. And that's going to have diminishing returns mm-hmm. on Cat's offensive game as well because he has to chase and chase and chase. So I am to a lesser extent than like the Cavs, for instance, worried about what schematically the too big foundation looks like in the playoffs, even though it has been tremendously successful defensively this season. I, I look, I, I think Rudy is Rudy's reputation defensively in the playoffs is probably a little bit overblown in terms of his effectiveness. But again, like that Clippers team, like really did show kind of the benchmark for how to cause problems for him when he was playing in Utah, playing five out. If you can play five out, it causes some problems. Now the Clippers don't have the wherewithal to play five out uh, as we just discussed, which is valuable, but like I I have the Timberwolves a little bit lower and you're going to like laugh at the team that I have uh, ahead of the Timberwolves in the West. It's, it's not the thunder. Um, Let me guess. We'll get to them once we get to them. Phoenix. No, you're not going to say the Lakers, are you? But I, uh, I'm not going to say the Lakers. No, the but I, look, I, I have Phoenix like relatively in this tier. I have the Mavs really Holy high. Holy shit, Jason. man! <laughs> I have the Mavs really high, Jason. Okay, well, so let let's do this. I, for the record, I agree with you with Minnesota. Like they, there, there's specific configurations I worry about with them because you know what's interesting too. You know what yeah. also has been really shitty? Their crunch time defense. Like they, they, yeah. Look, look, and I want to be clear here for everybody. Like, I feel like I'm playing the role of like nitpicking all of this <laughs> on this podcast, which is fine. Like, and that's the role that like I kind of want to play a little bit. Um, I have the I have the Timberwolves in this tier. I have them like a couple slots lower than you, but like I have the Timberwolves in this tier. They've had a fantastic season, and I'm all for what they've been able to accomplish this season. And I think Anthony Edwards is like a total stud that is probably like a year away. But if it came a year early, I wouldn't be surprised. The key is the decision making, mm-hmm. like you said. But sorry, I wanted to get that out there. So my tiers, the way I have it set up, I have the the like I said, the bona fide championship contenders, and then I have the teams that are hitting benchmarks but have question marks. Obviously, the Clippers and the Timberwolves. After that, yep. every other team for me is missing the traditional championship benchmarks. That like legitimately, like the team, like that they're not hitting those like like, and we can get in. We'll get into the individual teams, but I don't have any other teams on that tier. But it sounds like you have multiple. So before we go any further, what teams do you have that are in what you consider to be like that real championship winning uh, capability tier? So, so like I said at the top, realistically, I think there is a ninety percent chance that the title comes from one of Denver the Clippers or the okay. Celtics. So I think those are really the three teams. Okay, so that's that the end I of your like top tier. Truly, that's my okay, top Okay, so tier. I really, yeah, I'm and including then, like, Minnesota a, and you're not, basically. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I, I have a bigger second tier. Well, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I have a... I'll be interested to hear the way you break out the rest of your tiers. My, my clear thing is like, I think the Nuggets, Clippers and Celtics are a level ahead in terms of playoff basketball, especially if the Clippers are healthy. So I, I agree with you. I just am including Minnesota in there to me, to me, the case for Minnesota is they're just like one of the most physically overwhelming teams in the league. And that t- tends to be a, a weapon when you get to the postseason. Yeah. And, and like, you can't write off to like the, just like the, 
what if ant is just awesome <laughs> you know that that's always uh no he, he really and he shot be. and he yeah. shot the pull-up jump shot incredibly well in the postseason so far in his career so and that to me like I, you know people always make fun of tatum for relying on a ton of pull-up jump shots ants kind of in that camp too where like i mean considering his physical gifts there's a huge portion of his shot diet that is kind of difficult which did always has always been. has been yeah um uh, but yeah, like it, it all, you can't write out the possibility of him making that, uh, making them. So my next tier is teams that are missing traditional championship benchmarks, but you can see a legitimate pathway to the title for them. And the first team I have on yes. this tier at number five is the Milwaukee Bucks, and it's really this simple: they 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 <laughs> they cannot score the. They cannot score the basketball since Doc Rivers has taken over. It's the craziest thing. Dame Lillard is shot. Yeah, I was going to say, is there is there missing traditional championship benchmarks like having Doc Rivers as their <laughs> basketball coach? <laughs> so the traditional benchmarks here are like, one, there's just like a weird funk kind of hanging over the team. That's never like... How many teams win the title when it looks like they're not even sure they're having fun playing together for large chunks of the season? You know, uh, yeah. their defense is not good enough, but they're not transcendently great offensively to make up for it. Like that was always the case when you're watching Denver last year. It was like, it was like, oh, their defense is kind of mediocre, but like, hey, man, this is like a potentially an all time great offense. You know what I mean? And, and so that, that's kind of the way I look at like that, them, them missing the benchmark is like, they don't have good defensive personnel. They're not a good defensive team. And they're not they, like, they don't have an elite unit that you look at as like the driving force behind their championship kind of odds. But to put it simply, most of this team construct is based on Dame being a superstar offensive player. And he just hasn't been. And so that that's where you like, see the legitimate pathway is like, what if Dame and Giannis and them all just kind of figure it out on offense and then they're able to get enough stops through a funneling scheme that just try to it tries to send everybody in towards their size. So before we go any further, where do you have the Bucks um, in this tier? Do you have them at the top of your tier? Do you have them lower? Where are the Bucks for you? Yeah, I had Denver or I had Milwaukee at four. Okay, uh, I had Milwaukee at four. I, I think that they are the team that I probably trust most outside of that. Well, trust is the wrong <laughs> word. They're the team whose talent level I believe in most outside of that top group of teams that we talked about. If you look at it since January 15th, they're 12th in defense. Like the defense, you know, I know it's not been great vibes wise since Doc got there, but like the defense has gotten better from the catastrophic levels it was at early in the season, particularly uh, offensively. I really think that there is a shot. They just figure this thing out. Like truly at the end of the day, they have a top five offense in the league. Uh, the Giannis Damian Lillard combination is more offensive star power than I don't know how many teams can match that at the end of the day. It, it is precious few. I would say Denver can match it. Uh, I would say the Clippers can match it. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that they probably enter the series against Boston with a better top two than what Boston they, has. They, they absolutely do. I trust. Yeah, it's just that I trust Boston's, you know, rest of the core pieces much, much more than I trust Milwaukee's. And honestly, like, I think that Pat Beverly solves some things for them in terms of like constructing playoff lineups that could be beneficial. I'm not going to sit here and say Patrick Beverly is like a 30 minute per game guy in the playoffs at this point in his career. I, I don't believe that necessarily at 35 years old, 
but I think that having him around really does present uh, more opportunities for them to create coherent lineups that can defend at the point of attack, which is what they desperately, desperately need. You can't go into a playoff series having Malik Beasley as your primary defensive option. Like It's just not going to work. Uh, it just is not the reality of playoff basketball at the end of the day. Uh, you know, Chris Middleton's kind of dealing with like a little ankle injury heading into the deadline and or uh, heading into the all-star break and hopefully he's able to get back to 100%. I think he's been better since his start to the season at least. You know, it's been a little bit hit or miss, but they're going to enter the series, they're going to enter any series in the East with uh the best one-two punch and that gives them a better puncher's chance than I think anybody else has, even if uh, they're at a real coaching disadvantage uh, in the playoffs, which I think, unfortunately for Doc, has been proven time and time again ever since he won that title in Boston. I uh, to your point about the talent, like I, I made a little list earlier as part of my Lakers, uh, you know, whatever shred of optimism there is around the Lakers. To me, there are four teams in the NBA that you can stay that you can state definitively have two of the fifteen best playoff players in the league. Denver, yep. Milwaukee, the Lakers, yep. and the Suns. Like those are the four teams where it's like if you're just taking playoff players. To me, and the the one that's oh the the Clippers, the Clippers. I don't think Paul George necessarily is a top fifteen player. Do you? I would take Paul over Jamal Murray, even though I love Jamal, and I think that the combination of Jokic and Jamal elevates uh itself and I, I have like an i have an immense 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 amount of respect for jamal murray i don't mean to uh like i would have jamal murray in the top 20 but i, I would take paul so, george over jamal so murray in a in a vacuum i agree with you i think paul george is a better basketball player than jamal murray but i have this thing on on this show this this uh, this ethos which is your impact as a basketball player really only matters within your own situation meaning like everything else is theoretical. So for instance, like mm-hmm. as the two man game specifically next to Jokic as a shot maker, like think about how specifically important what Jamal Murray does for the nuggets. 100%. So like that, that to yep. me, like to me, Jamal Murray was like a top five winning impact player in the postseason last year. Because of what he did in his role. This dude was like a 30, I can't remember the exact numbers, but yeah. he was like, he was making shots at a bona fide superstar. Like what he did last year in the postseason is every bit as impactful as what Kyrie Irving did for the Cavs in 2016, sans the gigantic performance in game five and game seven. Like, like the, like in yeah. terms of like, value in a role like no one actually thought Kyrie was a top five player in 2016 or 2015 but his fit next to LeBron with the Cavs in a playoff setting brought a winning impact that was of similar ilk to some of the stars of the league so that would be the case but I'll allow it in the sense that we'll say the Clippers too so that's five teams I I think I think you've sold me honestly I think I think you've sold me on the Murray idea uh I, I do tend to think of that argument more in a vacuum, but you're wrong or you're right that it, I'm wrong and it's not in a vacuum at the end of well, the day. I, uh, so I, I think you're right. I just that. had a, a mailbag question about this earlier today, which is what why why I brought it up. Like I can't even remember what the mailbag question was, but it like I ended up saying like 
Like to me, like your value as a basketball player is what you bring to your team. Like that's what, that's not theoretical. That's real. But anyway, to your point though, Milwaukee is one of five teams. Let's just do, let's make it a little bit more broad. It's, it's one of five teams in the league that can state definitively. They have two of the best 20 playoff players in the league, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Bucks, the Lakers and the Suns. And so to me, that's the Bucks thing that they bring to the table is like, what if Damon Giannis figured out now on the Bucks front, this is, Oh, oh, like what I'm noticing on tape is like, I think we all pled forever for Giannis to be more of a screen and roll guy. And like, he just never really did it until until Dame came to town at the volume that he's doing it now. And, you know, as much as Giannis is a great, I shouldn't say great, as much as Giannis has become a good passer in terms of like in his ISOs and post-ups at like drawing attention and making these plays, I actually think he hasn't been that great as a screen and roll guy uh, this year in terms of like his decision making and his ability to interpret the defense. I think he's, I I don't think he's doing a good enough, a good enough job screening. I don't think the, as a team, they're actually organizing the floor well enough to get him into situations where he can make easier reads in a weird way. The Dame Giannis pick and roll not being as productive as you would hope, I think it's been on both of them. I think it's been on Dame not doing a good enough job just being the offensive threat you need to get the panic coverages that you need to kind of generate the really easy roll opportunities. But I think Giannis has left a lot to be desired in terms of like Giannis to me is the MVP of the league right now. I think he's been the best regular season this year, uh, uh, regular season player this year. I'm not trying to pick on Giannis I think it's just he he's in as much of a new role here as Dame is and for Dame it's just the geometry of the offense is very different compared to what he had in Portland but like to me Giannis hasn't really the the, the, that whole synergy just hasn't really taken shape yet to your point what if it does because like if it does that's where it could like really really take off I personally I I like their configurations better when they clear the side or empty corner for their ball screens I I feel like it just gets Giannis better like easier opportunities to quickly read. I think that's the difference. Like in his ISOs and post-ups, he's really focused on the floor. Whereas in the ball screens, he kind of has to like go from setting a screen to like quickly interpreting the floor and what's happening right in front of him. And I think it's just a little bit more of a, of a, of a hesitation there, which has caused some issues. But I, I, I'm wondering what you've noticed watching the Bucks this year that you think is holding them back offensively. Well, and I think that, you know, to your point, the empty side actions, I mean, empty side actions, it feels like have taken, I don't want to say taken the league by storm. Obviously, teams have used empty side actions for years, but I would be fascinated to see numbers to see if it feels like teams are using empty side actions far more. And the idea behind empty side actions is that you have to pre-rotate, basically. You have to bring over the tagger for somebody like Giannis, for somebody like Joel Embiid. Uh, the Maxi Embiid one has you know stood out in my mind all year. They use it a ton in Philadelphia uh, to be able to get Joel into open space. You have to pre-rotate, and because you have to pre-rotate and you essentially have to play three-on-two defensively, it, I think, creates an easier avenue to be able to read the court Four players like Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, that can be a little bit turnover prone, right? Like not can struggle a little bit with passing and playmaking at the end of the day. I think that you're a hundred percent right in terms of why their struggles have been. Giannis and Dame together still do not have that synergy in ball screens. I think that it's Giannis's screening to an extent, and I think it's Giannis's ability to read the floor as well. It's just not a situation that he's been comfortable with uh, throughout the course of his career 
to this point because he hasn't had that elite gravitational force as a pull-up player previously. He's still adjusting to this new reality that he currently lives in. It took Joel Embiid and James Harden like probably half a year to be able to figure that out together. I'm not surprised that it's taken Giannis and Damian Lillard like hopefully half of a year to figure it out. They need to spend like these last 28 games that they have, 27 games, whatever they have left, figuring that out. Mm -hmm. That is their critical, critical thing. I don't think they win the title unless they have that elite attack figured out because for as much as I think Chris Middleton has been a little bit better over the course of the second half of the, you know, first half of the season, it's Chris has not been good enough as a second side option to where you can consistently truly rely on Mm -hmm. him yet. Uh, Brooke Lopez has been everything that he normally is. I I think he's been uh, tasked with different defensive assignments that have made him a bit less functional under Adrian Griffin. (laughs) But uh, for instance, them playing a bit more aggressive uh, in ball screens, especially early in the season was bonkers to me, given that you have Brooke Lopez on your team. But I think Doc will play to their strengths a little bit better, at least. They're going to have to get something out of the Malik Beasley. Jay Crowder has been like somewhat serviceable this year. I kind of thought there was a chance he was cooked, but he hasn't been totally cooked in the way that like Pat Connaughton, for instance, has been. They need Pat Connaughton to be able to give them something, something, in my opinion. Uh, and then they need to figure out if they can rely on Andre Jackson and Marjan Beauchamp in some way. My guess is that it'd have to be Andre Jackson to be able to provide like real point of attack defense beyond Patrick Beverly. Uh, th- they need two of those guys. I think one of them can be Pat Bev. It needs to probably be Andre Jackson to be able to give them like 10, 15 minutes a game in the playoffs that they can at least use to tire out opposing ball handlers. Yeah, the Patrick Beverly uh acquisition i actually liked i i think the way you mentioned it is perfect like he can't be a 30 minute per game guy not even just because of like his own you know gas mm-hmm. tank so to speak but also i think you kind of have to keep malik beasley in the starting lineup for his confidence like i almost think you have to like start malik beasley because he has been shooting the shit out of the basketball you kind of have to start him and kind of like yeah. feed into his confidence and then basically lean into pat you know for specific stretches of the game uh and, and maybe even play him more minutes like almost like a like a 25 minute per game type of guy. Um, but in general, I, I, Jason, what is their closing lineup? I, I that, that's what I'm struggling I, I'm with, with, with right Pat. now. To be I'm honest closing with, with you. Pat. I think, I think Pat is good against guards. I just think he gets into trouble when you put him against bigger players. I think he has a reputation as being a guy who can guard bigger players, but I don't think it actually matches up with reality. Okay. Question two, what are you closing against Boston with? Because they're going to like just absolutely spam like pick and pops or trailer threes with Kristaps, I would guess. So I, I actually don't know if you can totally trust Brooke to close those situations. I, I, you know, it's funny before the season, I had the Bucks above the Celtics on my contenders list. And then like it just it flipped after like 15 games and I've never looked back. I think that I think the Celtics yeah. would beat the Bucks pretty handily if they played them. I do, too. I, I like I don't know what their option is. I guess is mm. my thing. That that's what worries mm. me. Uh, I I don't like. It's probably Dame, Giannis, Middleton. Uh, honestly, is it Crowder, Pat Bev? 
And then you just, what, what do some more switching? <laughs> you try and switch like everything, but then you have Dame who has not been very good defensively so far this season. Structurally, their lineups are hard. Like, do you, do you try and switch with Brooke maybe? Like that, that feels like a bad idea to be clear. I'm not, I'm not, I, I think it's choosing between bad ideas mm-hmm. in terms of, what their like closing lineups against Boston could look like. Uh yeah, they're they're in a really intriguing difficult spot, I think. I would I would switch like, against Boston. You know, I my my thing with Boston, I think if you switch and you dig down into driving lanes, I think you can get them to settle. That's that's if I if I yeah. was coaching against Boston, I I would lean into whatever I could do to make them lean into their worst tendencies and like they are and they their iso and post up guys tend to settle for tough shots so that that would be i think i'd probably leave brooke out there and i would switch and just offer a lot of help and test their decision making um i think i agree with you uh and look like they kicked the shit out of boston last time they played them like truly, mm-hmm. like they they absolutely on the second night them. of a back to back, and that was for the record because they had just yeah, played the Wolves. And that was I like think. a hundred percent, and that was a game where like both teams were relatively healthy. I think they might have sat out Horford for that game, if I remember correctly. But like both teams, like relatively healthy. Um, I'm, I think Boston has real schematic advantages mm-hmm. against them, which no, I agree. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.